Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks, a podcast that takes you inside some of the most interesting businesses and industries today. We explore career success and how we can make a difference. We invite you to join us on this journey. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Beth Hilbing, co-CEO. And I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO with Beth. And today we are just so excited to be speaking with C-Suite members, Sharon Weiss and Merrill Macklin, both are leading national attorneys and partners with the international law firm of Brian Cave, Layton and Paisner. And we're so happy to have you on the show. Welcome, Merrill. Welcome, Sharon. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Let's talk about why did you go into law? Why did you pick law as a career? You want me to start? <laughs> yeah, Sharon, you start. Go for it. So I went to law school because I had no other skill sets. I, <laughs> I could not stand the sight of blood. I was not particularly good at math once I hit after algebra. And I was a terrible waitress. And therefore, I had really no skill sets. So uh, it seemed like law school would be a good fit. It um, allowed me to postpone life for a little bit more time. And in the process, I I ended up um, loving it. I also had a professor in undergrad that told me I should be a lawyer because until until I actually applied, nobody believed that I would actually go to law school. (laughs) Having a mentor always helps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful mentor. And then um, when I was in law school, I was taking a UCC class And that professor said, oh, you should take bankruptcy law. And I said, no, I'm never going to be a bankruptcy law attorney. I'm going to defend the Constitution. And God having a sense of humor the way that she does, when I needed a job, um, the job that I could find was as a bankruptcy lawyer, which I ended up, you know, life always leads you to where you're supposed to be. And what I realized down the road is that being a, a restructuring lawyer is is really the best of all worlds. I get to be a litigator. I get to be a business person. I get to be a transactional lawyer. I get to be a mediator. So it, for me, it was the it was the perfect blend of how of of being a um, of learning a lot and um, being able to help people. That's fabulous. How about you, Meryl? I went to law school with no intention of becoming a lawyer, actually. Oh, interesting. I came from a family of academics, and I don't know, I just ended up in law school, much the way that Sharon did. And I came out, and I needed to get a job, um, because I was living with someone at the time. He said, get a job in San Francisco. So I applied to the big law firms, because that was the easiest place to go. Got a job. Sure, I was going to hate it. I didn't hate it. So then I was sure I was going to hate it the next year, and I didn't hate it. And this went on for a couple of years until I basically found out I was going to become a partner. And well, by then I was the path was set. And <laughs> like Sharon, I really, I really did find I really loved practicing law. And I've always been in a law firm and mostly in very big law firms. So what are some, from each of you, what, what was like your first very interesting bankruptcy case and what did you learn from it? So just to be fair to Meryl, um, she's more of a litigator, but we, okay. she is a litigator, not more of. She actually is a litigator who has a tremendous amount of trial experience, but we tend to work together a lot when when um, our clients are either facing problems or need to chase assets. So so just, just so you... You, you know, our blend here. And what's a typical client? Is is that a middle market, Fortune 1500? Like what, what kind of companies do you work with? 
the kind that we share or the kind that we... Either way. Well, you answer that one because you're probably... (laughs) (laughs) We've worked with, and together we've worked on with clients that are very small up to very large. And I would say that's probably been my practice too. I've advised individuals who are business owners, um, more likely or more commonly, it's a middle market um, client base. That's what our firm mainly focuses on. Yeah. Although we do, I've done quite a bit of work for some, you know, Fortune 50 companies as well. Okay, great. Yeah, and I've done all sides of a restructuring case, which is, which is why the question's a little bit weird, because there's times where Meryl will pull me into a case, and there's times where I need to pull her into a case that's a restructuring case. And I've done, I just finished last year a, a case that we represented the debtor uh, in a Delaware case during COVID. That was interesting. We do a ton of, of creditor work, both secured and unsecured creditor, and a lot of people who buy assets. So we've done the gamut. And so you both work at Brian Cave, Litton, Paisner, um, international law firm. And so how long have you known each other? Oh, a long time. <laughs> no, I know him. When did you come to HRO? 2010. Okay. So a- HR, HRO? What's, it, what's an HRO? <laughs> oh, that was the firm that preceded, that law firm merged into Brian Cave in 2012. So Sharon and I met at that point. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. But Mural was one of my first friends. Like I came to this big law firm and it was the biggest law firm I had ever been at. And we became very fast friends. What's the first most interesting case you had? Most interesting. Yeah. You know, I've had a, I've had a run of some very fun cases. I, I don't think I could pick any of them to be my absolute favorite. Um, like I said, I just finished a debtor case, um, which was which has some very interesting issues. Uh, we had to, we were selling an asset that we needed to deal with the SEC regulations and the, and the, um, um, Frank Dodd Act and, you know, all those kind of things. So that was, that was really interesting. Plus the personalities involved is, was also very interesting. Um, we represented, uh, the buyer of assets of one group of assets from the FTT, FTD bankruptcy case. Um, we represented, uh, another party who bought assets out of the Radio Shack bankruptcy case. I just finished representing a client who provided a senior dip lending to a debtor. So they, they all have lessons learned. They usually come with no sleep. The most interesting <laughs> cases come with no sleep. And so many acronyms. A senior dip is debtor in process. Is that what? Debtor in possession. In yeah, possession. debtor in okay. possession financing. Yeah, but I think the most interesting one we did with Mer- I did with Merrill is um, when I had to do what was it that cross examination in the bankruptcy court and it was telephonic. That was crazy at the last minute. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that was that really was because for some crazy Italians too. So yeah, that was <laughs> lots of passion, I'm sure. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that's interesting is it, you know, one of the questions we were talking about before is so when you have a healthy business, do you have to care when you're working with another firm or whatever about their bankruptcy cases or other people's bankruptcy cases? How does that make a connection? Well, there's a number of very technical rules about bankruptcy that will affect how your lawsuit proceeds if you are in a bankruptcy, So, or if they're in a bankruptcy. So even if you're not in bankruptcy, it could make a difference. So if your healthy business sues 
an unhealthy business who goes into bankruptcy, all activity stops. There's something called an automatic stay, which stops you from proceeding with your case in whatever court you were in to start with because the bankruptcy court wants to make sure it takes control of everything having to do with that company. So you can proceed then with your lawsuit in bankruptcy court, and in many ways it'll look the same, but you can't keep going the way that you were going. And by and it's, so that it really makes a big difference, and also the, the pressure on you to resolve the case, to settle the case is going to be very different in a bankruptcy court than it is in a state court or federal court because, um, I mean, Sharon may disagree with me, but my experience has been that bankruptcy courts are all about settlement and all about resolving everything. Yeah, isn't that what we want? <laughs> you don't want it to go forever, especially if you're owed money, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But some people don't like to compromise. They want what they want and they don't want anybody telling them otherwise. So. Yeah. But bankruptcy, so, but that's, that's a good point because first of all, what drives non-bankruptcy lawyers and business people crazy is that bankruptcy law is completely counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's people, you know, think they get it and they, they're like, oh, things are written right here. Why, why aren't we following those rules? And it's, and it's not totally intuitive. So, I mean, I hate to say this, but having someone who knows what they're doing, having you have to go to a specialist for this. It's just like going to a specialist for a heart problem or a kidney problem. You wouldn't go to the same doctor, right? So, so that that's a problem. But um, bankruptcy allows a framework to deal. It, it gives you different. It gives parties different posture where to stand, and a backfall if you cannot get to that resolution. So it's, it's a lot easier to say, if you don't do this, I can make this better for you than the ultimate parade of horribles that I'm going to impose upon you in a bankruptcy case. And and knowing how to utilize those skills and, and where those pressure points are make it important to know if someone else is filing bankruptcy or got, you know, if, you, if you're in that position to know where you have strength. Okay. Right. So being on the vendor side, right, how do I get to the front of the line? Because isn't there, um, you know, in a bankruptcy, especially on a big corporate bankruptcy, you know, first uh, taxes get paid and wages and there's a whole bunch of stuff, right, before you get to like the vendor side. So how do you know, how do you get to the front of the line? Well, that's a great question. So you are correct. In, in a bankruptcy case, for the most part, there's now exceptions upon exceptions, but for the most part, um, Creditors are paid in a priority, and the uh, more senior priority has to be paid in full until there's a lower until until they're paid in full, and then it, there's a waterfall. And so there's a couple of things that you have to do to make sure to get paid. First of all, you absolutely have to pay attention to the mail that you get, even though it's like a million pieces of paper when you're a creditor in a bankruptcy, because there are a few pieces of paper that are crucial to making you at least stand in line to get paid. One of them is deciding whether you file a proof of claim and it has to be done by a deadline. And the other is, especially when there's a company selling assets, a lot of times with vendors, they will file a motion to fix what their uh, unsecured claim is. And if you don't pay attention, sometimes they'll list it as zero. And if you don't pay attention and let that deadline pass, you could have a multi-million dollar claim that gets established to zero because you weren't paying 
attention to the pleading. So that's number one is you absolutely don't just trash the papers, read them and let's figure out if you, <laughs> if, if you, if that applies to you. And then the second is really what I spent a lot of time doing, which is figuring out how to put your claim in a higher priority. Uh, for example, are you providing services to a debtor after they file bankruptcy? Because that's a different level of claim. Do you have arguments that you have a secured claim over an unsecured claim? Do you fit in one of the higher priorities? And, you know, this is like hours and hours of talk, which we obviously don't have time for. But that's, that's, where the, that's one of the places where the magic is in a bankruptcy case. So, Meryl, what's some of the advantages that come out of a bankruptcy case? Well, for, for a client that is in the bankruptcy case, it's an, it's an opportunity to restructure all of its relationships with its creditors and be able to get a fresh start. So for, for the company that's in bankruptcy, there's obvious advantages, although there's some disadvantages too, because you've got to have a court approve your plan. You've got to have a lot of other people weighing in on what it is you choose as your priorities for payment. And, and for, the, for the party who's, who's making a claim or is in a lawsuit, there can be a lot of advantages to dealing with a bankruptcy. You may be able to pick up certain assets on the cheap. You may be able to, I mean, a lot of companies will go, they look for their merger targets in the bankruptcy courts. Um, you may be able to reach a settlement with some terms that you wouldn't necessarily have been able to get if you weren't dealing with a party in bankruptcy. Um, and I, the, the downside is they have a tendency to go on and on and on. I've, I've been getting notices from a bankruptcy, still getting notices that was filed, I believe, in 2008, maybe 2007. Um, so they do have a tendency to go on and on. But Not always. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! It's like the it's like when you have to file for for a divorce and you hear it goes on forever. Uh, I think too. litigation goes fa longer, but yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just just had to like my case that I was the debtor's lawyer got confirmed in less than a year. I'm just saying. Okay, so. well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> have you guys seen an increase since COVID in bankruptcies? I just wonder. Yeah, that's a good question. On the corporate side, yeah. On the corporate side. So yes, yes and no. Um, mostly no. We're we're still waiting for um, we're wait we're still waiting. So we all expected there to be a flood of bankruptcy cases, and and there was a lot of quick stuff. There was companies that, you know, if they were struggling already, they 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 just shut down, right? Um, but the the um, rescue money really did keep a lot of people afloat for a period of time. So now that that money is coming to an end and it doesn't look like there's going to be any more PPP money or, you know, forgivable loans, um, now it's really where the, the rubber is going to hit the road. And either that these companies are, are going to be able to make it or not make it. And so the current thinking among, you know, my friends at least, is that we'll start seeing a, a bigger flood of bankruptcies at the end of the year. But there still has been some significant bankruptcies filed in the last uh, in the last couple of years with COVID and, you know, things that have been in the newspaper, the Boy Scout case, and uh, Neiman Marcus. There's There's been quite a few that have been keeping people busy. Right. With all the supply chain issues too, I'm sure that's going to start hitting, right? And yes. gas prices is everything. Huge issue. Right. So, so what happens, what happens when you're in a lawsuit? Okay. I'm in a lawsuit. My company's in a lawsuit. And then the other side files for bankruptcy. 
then then what happens to me? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get whatever I'm trying to get from them, and now they're bankrupt. You'll, you, the process is now going to be supervised by the bankruptcy court. So you can't continue to, to file whatever you were filing in, in another court. But now you have the assurances that there is a different, there's a court that's paying attention to where it fits and, and how much you're going to get. I mean, it, it may not be as much as you were hoping for, but it wouldn't have been in any other court as well either. And, and to Sharon's point, make sure you read your mail because that's definitely going to affect how, how you get paid and, and much in a different way than it would be if you were in a different court. And I'll just add to that that your pre-litigation planning is very important here um, because if if you have just an unsecured claim, let's say you're just chasing a vendor, likely it's going to be an unsecured claim and your chances of recovery are, are low and minimal. But if you have other types of claims, especially against individuals, let's say you have intentional bad things, fraud, those kinds of things, those types of claims, and we talk about those priorities, um, they're not they're not a different priority, but they're treated differently as to whether they're subject to the bankruptcy discharge. So really having a good sense of what you're suing for and the claims available to you is really important way before the bankruptcy is filed. Okay. What's the typ- typical length of when a corporation determines they're going to go go through bankruptcy till it's resolved? <laughs> Or is that, does that just vary like Meryl said? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, well, that is a good question. Um, there are some companies that see the writing on the wall early on and they start preparing early on, which is appreciated and makes their lives easier. But let's face it, most of the time, there's not a lot of runway. Um, because things are going on. It really depends on what, what the cause is. Um, is it, is it um, your lender just decided that they're not going to, you know, extend that credit facility? Is it you're being sued and a judgment's about to be handed down and the tentative was against you? Um, there's different reasons for doing that. And so um, it really does vary on the cause of the bankruptcy. Um but we obviously like to have more time than not to prepare for it so that it so because the beginning of a bankruptcy case is really hectic and busy and you really need to know your exit plan or you should know your exit plan before you even file. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. So I want to ask you, so your firm is a very large international firm. How how have they supported women and what kind of activities do they have around DE and I? We have a number of different initiatives within the firm, and I think this is common to to many, if not all, law firms of our size. Um, we have uh, a women's affinity group in the U.S. for lawyers, um, and we do whatever we can to support the development and promotion of women, and both Sharon and I serve on the national board of that group. Um, we are we have adopted and are followers of what's called the Mansfield Rule, which is like the Rooney Rule in sports, which <laughs> says that for any leadership position within the firm, um, there have I forget what the number is, but I think it's one out of any three candidates have to be women. Um, But there has to be a woman candidate for any leadership position. And the result of that has been we have a number of women um, in in leadership positions, including the co-chair of our firm, 
one of the three practice or department heads, which is the very top, just below the co-chair of the firm, a number of women on our board. Um, and so there's a real conscious effort made to, to make sure that women are well represented in the leadership because that makes such a difference um, for the younger women and more junior women coming up to be able to see that there are women leaders um, in the firm. We've had a number of other initiatives over the, the years, coaching programs for women um, on business development and other types of things. Um, special women's business development um, events and you know, inviting women clients to events and that are attended by women lawyers to help the women get the business. Um, so just a number of different things that it's very much on people's minds. In fact, yesterday I attended a two-hour training session that's mandatory actually for, I believe everyone in the firm, but at least for all the lawyers, um, on, on basically implicit bias kinds of issues and exclusion and, and just trying to make sure that everybody is acting in every possible way uh, to include people that are different, um, whether that's gender, race, um, sexual orientation, anything. We love it. We love that. We love that. I have one more question about the bankruptcy stuff before we wrap here. And that is, um, if my firm, if my company is dealing with a slow paying vendor or a vendor that seems to be struggling, just give me a few quick tips on how to resolve that. Cause I think that's really important as if we're talking about bankruptcy, like yeah. you're seeing it now, what? So re resolving it is a little bit harder than answering, you know, what should you be worried about? Yeah. And, and the worry is that you don't, so you have a critical vendor that's important to your product line. You want to make sure you're going to get your, your stuff, right? Yeah. So um, there are procedures we can, we could try to, I mean, sometimes you're just out of luck. Sometimes, like you said, the supply chains, it's in transit. You don't have the widget, but um, the, the bigger issue is if you've paid for the widget and then you don't get the widget and all you have is an unsecured claim. So if you see a, vendor that's struggling um, really should talk about your your pay options and how to confirm that the, the product's going to get to you. You may have reclamation claims if you don't get your product. These are all things that you really should be um, talking talking to someone like me to, to figure out how to deal with that client. On the flip side, if you're paying a, a vendor that's in trouble, you, your biggest exposure is getting sued for what's called a preference. And th that's, again, one of those areas that's very counterintuitive because you, your typical business person will apply a late payment to the latest invoice, but your better defense to a preference action may be to pay the most recent invoice because there's a time calculation of whether or not a payment was made um, in the ordinary course. So uh, this is a complicated area, but it's probably the area that most business people face when you've been paid on a legitimate debt, right? You've been paid, you've provided services, you've provided goods, you've been paid, and somebody's suing you two years later to recover that money. Thank you. Thank you. So I think we need to wrap up. So Beth, why don't you thank our sponsors? Yeah. So first we want to thank, of course, Sharon and Meryl yes. for attending today for the podcast and talking about bankruptcy and sharing insights. So thank you. And you're so active with C-Suite and we love it. Thank you. We love having you. It was a big honor.
But we want to thank Google, who is one of our prime sponsors, uh, RSM, a national accounting firm, Manette, again, a national law firm, Woodruff Sawyer, Employee Benefits, and Amplified Professional Services, who does a fantastic job with executive search and IT consulting. So thank you for listening. Thank you. And we really appreciate all of our listeners and those watching YouTube. Hit the like button. It does something to the algorithm. Subscribe, forward this. You know, there's a little bell icon. Please hit that. And we really thank you. We'd love to have you as part of C-Suite. It's www.csuite.org. Send us a note if you're interested. Diane, that's me, Diane with two N's, D-I-A-N-N-E, at C-Suite, C-S-W-E-E-T.org. Thank you again for listening. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye, Meryl. Bye, Sharon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye, you guys.